Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. You guys had the opportunity to look at a movie. Well, it's actually really a documentary in a way. How many of you saw both part one and part two? Okay, that's the majority of you. All right, that's good. How many of you got something out of it? All right, that's very good. Okay, what'd you say? <laughs> You're not gonna say, well, if you're like me, you would find that it's almost something that you could look at even again, because they gave you like so much. Oh, see, so okay. <laughs> no, it is, there, there was just a lot, you know, that they, that, that, yes. Now, I think part one was very encouraging because part one, well, the whole thing was encouraging, but part one really confirmed quite a bit of what we had already studied so far. Would you agree with that? Okay, and then part two just kind of like <laughs> blew the whole thing <laughs> open, and it gave us even more insight um, into the lives of some of the individual apostles and, you know, what happened with them, what didn't happen with them, which is why I thought it was just extraordinarily interesting, and that's why I wanted to do it, because for us to continue in this vein, even though this could continue forever, and I'm not going to do that, because there's already some other stuff I want to talk about, <laughs> so we're going to kind of eventually wrap this up. But I just thought it was a really, really good way for you to just take all that we've learned, then add to it, and then we can move forward from there and just kind of like wrap this up. Now, I will tell you, I don't know when I'm going to do it, but there's this other really good movie that deals with the Apostle Paul. It is extraordinary. And I don't know, at some point, we will view that. That can be viewed at any point because it, to me, really confirms our testimony as Christians and what we want to do. So it's something that we can view at any point in time and be blessed by. So I have that kind of like on the back burner, but just know that's really, I'm like, <laughs> that's going to be really good. So that'll come up at some point. But what I want to do today, I'm going to kind of like put you guys to work. I'm not going to like sit here and do everything. So I want to see just how much you really did get out of the movie. So I'm going to ask you some things and I want to see if we're on the same page. It also kind of like lets me know exactly where we are with what we've learned so far. Fair enough? Okay, you don't look so. <laughs> okay, I'll start with simple things, because these were little simple things that were in the movie. You probably already know the answer if you didn't even see the movie, okay? When Jesus asked the disciples to pray with him before he went to the garden, Gethsemane, remember? Okay. He specifically, it happened after the Last Supper. They had the Last Supper at one of their friends' house. We all know that, okay? And he, want, he knew what was about to come. So he asked them to pray. But he specifically asked three different apostles to stay with him. Who were the three? Okay, here's what we're going to do, because I want to make sure it's clear so everyone can hear you. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I see we get to act like we're in school. Raise your hand, and then you can say what it is so that everybody can hear you clearly. I think that's fair, okay? So who were the three that he asked to remain with him? He took all the disciples with him, but, you know, he already knew some of them weren't going to work. So, so he asked three of them to stay and pray. Yes? Peter, John, and Andrew. Okay. Not really, but you got, <laughs> you got two of them right, so that's very good. Okay, but there was another one, yes. Oh, you're so good, yes, it was Peter, James, and John, but that's good, okay, that's very good, I know, right? <laughs> okay, now here's a question, well, hey, I mean, I thought that was good, both of you, very good, because some people have no clue at all, <laughs> so that's a good thing. Um, why do you think, though, that they couldn't stay awake? And this isn't a right or wrong answer, this is your opinion. Why do you think that they couldn't stay awake during that time? Yes. Okay, that's a good point. It was sad, they were sad and they had like too much pressure on them? Okay, that's a good point, yes. That's a, good, that's a very good point. That's, that's a very good point. 
I, that, that makes sense. Anybody else? That's true. <laughs> I mean, I can relate to that. Um, I think that. I think another thing that I thought about was the fact that the difference is they were operating, you know how we say, or we can relate to it this way. We know, like I know, how I presently feel if I were to use my five senses. I know how I presently feel in the spirit realm and what I'm believing for how I feel. In the natural realm, I also know how I feel. There is a distinct difference. And I think with them, they were human. And their humanity kind of got the best of them. So they were operating in the natural, and they just couldn't hang. <laughs> so, right. They really, truly were. Yes, because Jesus hadn't even, you know, he hadn't been resurrected. All that hadn't happened. So they were just totally operating in the natural. They had no spirit. They didn't have the spirit within them. The Holy Spirit hadn't been within them, they weren't born again as we are. So they really only had their natural to go on, so quite naturally they were really frail as human beings. So they just couldn't do it. And that's why I think they fell asleep. And of course that would make them tired and all of those other things that you mentioned and that's why they just couldn't do it. But sometimes we don't think about it. That's why, I don't know, I like to think about all those weird little things. Now another thing that I thought was very interesting, where were the apostles? During the actual crucifixion, where were they? Okay, they were. Why do you think they were hiding? Okay, raise your hands again. Why, Ms. Cameron, why do you think they were hiding? That's a good point. I think that, I mean, based on what they were going through in that period of time, I think that makes a lot of sense, correct? That, yeah, they were downright fearful. Um, there's another reason why some of them might have been hiding. And what do you think that might have been? Okay. There is a movie that was out, I don't know how many years ago. It was in this last decade, called... Uh, What's that thing, Mel Gibson? Oh, now I just forgot it. Oh my goodness. It had Mel Gibson in it, and it dealt with the crucifixion. Oh yeah, Passion of the Christ. Okay, thank you. Yes, yeah, I don't remember. I have never seen the movie. I own the movie. I have never seen the movie. Now for me, I have never seen it because I personally don't think I could bear looking at it. So I just have never watched it. I mean, I know it was all the rave, a lot of people saw it, I just personally didn't think that I could. So in a way, I kind of think some of the apostles might not have been there because they couldn't bear to experience it and they were hurt. I know that some of them were fearful you know, of their own lives and didn't want to be associated with him. I mean, we already know how Peter <laughs> denied him for those very reasons. But I do think it, it could have been maybe because some of them were just that devastated at what was about to come. You think? Maybe? Okay. All right. Another thing, oh, this is another little fun fact. <laughs> and in this wonderful age that we're living in where they think women are so wonderful and powerful, and we are. Um, what or who was the female follower who, in all of this time, we're studying the 12. We're looking at a closer look at these 12 ordinary men. But here was someone who really, when you really delve into scripture, was in the inner circle along with these 12 ordinary men. Who was that woman? Yes, very good. So you guys all got that. That's true. And what makes her, because she, it's really interesting. On one hand, she's looked at all of the negative things that can be associated with the female. But then on the other hand, there's something extra special about her role. What was that? What was the one thing that really highlights Mary Magdalene and makes her more special than anyone? Yes. Oh, you are so smart, Mr. Woodbury. Yes, she was the first witness to see Jesus after the resurrection. Very good. Oh, I love that. That is so wonderful. Now, was she not also the only one who was at the crucifixion? 
Well, actually, they're saying that there was one called the Beloved who was there. And they are assuming, or it's kind of indicated, that that apostle was John. So, hmm. So, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Now, here's another thing that occurred. Now, this is important. Because when you think about it, the apostles, we all know all of the stuff. OK, I can't say anything because I'm on. But I can't, well, welcome. I can say this. OK. And we know that tomorrow's your birthday, so I guess that's why you came today. <laughs> so happy birthday. It's early. OK, well, there is some chocolate by the door. <laughs> Get ready to leave. Anyway, okay. The apostles, all of this time, they walked with Jesus. After the resurrection, they all scatter, okay, because they're still kind of like hidden. They're not really coming out saying too much of anything. But here's something I think is extremely unique. With all of this that they were taught, because we talked about that, how he spent 18 months of intensive training teaching them everything. Why is it that they really weren't going around preaching and doing a whole lot of anything until 50 days after the resurrection. What happened 50 days after the resurrection? You have to raise your hand. Okay, Mr. Woodbury, you're answering everything, so I'm not gonna, I don't, no, don't tell me, don't, don't, don't say it. Okay, Mrs. Cato. Yes, the day of Pentecost. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Exactly. Now, when they received the Holy Spirit, and they, what was the significance of it? What did they do specifically that indicated they received the Holy Spirit? They spoke in other tongues, which meant that they spoke in other languages outside of their own. So now, what did they go do? They what? Yes, and, but they went out fiercely. They went out everywhere. They were like ready to go. It's like they were empowered and they were ready to go out and preach absolutely everywhere. Now, what does that, because again, in everything that we're doing, we want to take it and apply it to ourselves. So that means that when a person is what? Born again, that's a wonderful thing. Praise the Lord. But it's so critical that they're what? Filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because if they're not, that, and when you think about it, that almost makes them just like the apostles. Okay, yes, they've escaped hell. That's a good thing. They're Christian. That's a wonderful thing. But in order for them to have that endowment of power to go out and be witnesses and share the gospel with everybody, they need what? They need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you, I mean, you could just even share that. But the point is, you need to be able to share that with people, right? Because they have to have that. If they don't, it's, <laughs> they just don't have what they need. Now, the interesting thing, they coined that day something other than the day of Pentecost. They did that in the movie. So this is going to let me know if you really caught it in the movie. What did they call that particular day that the apostles began to go out and just preach fiercely? It's something, <laughs> how can I put it? I'll give you a hint. Um, oh, gosh. Well, I can't give you that hint because that won't make sense. Um, OK, I just men mentioned that tomorrow is going to be a special day for this gentleman. What day is that going to be for him that we're celebrating? OK, so what was this day? The birth of the church. The birth thank you. Boy, I really tried to do that. Yes, it was coined in the movie as the birthday of the church, okay? Because that's when it really began that day. I thought that was really cool. I like that. <laughs> and I'm sorry, yes? That's true. That's true. Very true. All of those things. I agree 100%. Um, this also, for these 12 ordinary men, something that was very important is the fact that they realized. It's sort of like this gave them that little shot in the arm that they needed. And it made and confirmed for them and allowed them to realize that this kingdom of God was to come. 
it was something that they could go and share. Because remember, for a long time, they thought the kingdom was going to be right there among them on earth. And this was something that allowed them to see, no, the kingdom is to come. But it encouraged them, because they really, you have to imagine how they must have felt. Because for some of them, if we back up a little bit before the resurrection, before the crucifixion, rather, a lot of them were starting to doubt what's going on. You know, no different than some of us may have prayed and we're believing God for something and it doesn't happen as quickly as we think it should. You can say what you want, but sometimes the, we know the enemy constantly does what? Give thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. So therefore, you start to think, well, maybe he didn't hear me, or maybe I'm not getting my answer, or maybe this and maybe that. Well, here are these 12 ordinary men who have sold out everything. They have followed this Messiah, but yet and still, he's the Messiah. He has all of these qualities to be the Messiah. He is the son of God as they're believing, but yet and still, he's arrested and he's crucified. You don't think that they weren't being given thoughts, ideas, and suggestions to make them wonder if any of this was true or was it all a crock? Okay, nobody really wants to talk about it that way, but I do believe they went through some of that. And that's why a lot of them were scattered all over the place. Because keep in mind, there were more followers or disciples of Christ than just those 12. Okay. Actually, when you really look and dig into history, there were about through all of this, throughout even past the crucifixion before the resurrection, there were a good solid 120 of them. But they were all scattered because a lot of them were dealing with self-doubt because they just weren't sure what is going on during this period of time. So this was a really good thing for them. Um, and actually, the other thing that they tell us, and they, they pointed out in the movie, these people weren't coined Christians yet. What was it called? What did they call these people who believed in Jesus? Yes. Exactly. It was just termed the way, you know, which is very interesting. But anyway, because the term Christian hadn't been coined. When was the term Christian coined? Does anybody remember that? Oh, you do? Oh, Mr. Woodbury? I'm telling you, you get extra handy. Okay, when was it coined? Oh, he's so good. Yes, you're right. I'm so proud of you. I don't even know what to do. Yes, you're right. It, it was coined in Antioch. You're right. Oh my gosh. Do you remember like what year? I mean, why not? You seem to know everything. <laughs> I mean, seem to know everything else. Why should I think you don't know that? Uh, what year did that, did that happen, Mr. Woodbury? You can think about it. Go ahead, it's all right. I think I finally got you. <laughs> Possibly? It was what? It had to be, it couldn't have been BC, because that was before Christ. So it'd have to be AD. So that's a good that's a good start. That's true. Okay, does anybody know? Can they help him out? Gosh, everybody's doing all this. And you know what? <laughs> We're going to kind of do it together because even in my notes, from what I have, it actually did not happen until the third century. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. It does seem a little weird. I'll try to give you the exact date, but yeah, it does seem to happen that it was in the third century because the thing that made it very interesting goes back to our dear apostle. Peter, because what Peter did was Peter actually baptized Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. The thing that was so wonderful about this was that when he baptized him, he did not make him, because they had a Gentile mission going on, okay? He baptized him, and he didn't make him go through all of the Jewish traditions. So, and that happened, it happened in 
around the same time, actually, that in Antioch, because it happened in Antioch, that the Greeks coined the word Christian, which really meant the party of Christ. So that's what they called it Christian, meaning the party of Christ. So it all happened kind of like around the same time. So that's how much I gathered from that. Um, now, Peter, we know later on, was considered the rock. Why? Because when you think about the fact, Peter denied Christ three times, just like you know we all know. So in some respects, people would think, well, Peter, I mean, really, you denied him. What was so great about you? But what were some of the things that made Peter stand out, that he could eventually be called the rock? Mr. Woodbury, I'm telling you, I might go out and buy you a hard candy. Yes, go ahead. Yes, he was the rock. Okay. Okay. Yes. But give me something else. Okay. That's good. I'm going to ask Miss Helen. Miss Helen. That's a good point because that at least let us know that he only found that out through the Holy Spirit being able to reveal that to him. Okay, I'll rephrase the question because you're right on that. Let me rephrase it this way. After the resurrection of Jesus, what characteristics about Peter did we learn that would make him be considered the rock? That's a better question. I didn't really ask it properly, so I, I you know, apologize for that. <laughs> so I rephrase it. Now you're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Okay, first of all, let's back up. Why do you think, we, I think discussed it, but why do you think Peter, who supposedly loved Jesus so much, why did he deny him three times? What was that all about? Why did he do it? I'm really making you think, or are you just tired and you want to go home? Yes, three times, but why did he do it? You are so 100% correct. Yes, you're right. That's why. Go ahead. Miss Helen. Exactly. That was really the whole motivation behind it. He was just afraid, so therefore, you know, he just went ahead and denied it. But after the resurrection, he also did something that was very specific that nobody else did. Does anybody remember? This was in the movie. He did that, and the first one was Cornelius, as we just said. So yes, he did baptize a lot of them, which was good. As a matter of fact, there was a specific place he fled to where he baptized like thousands of people all at one time. Do you know where that place is? Man, you guys need to see the movie again. Samaria. OK. Uh, here was the thing that made him so specific. With all of the people who were scattered all over the place, he was the one who was responsible for gathering them all together and getting them back centered so that they knew that they needed to go out and continue to spread the good news of Jesus. He, the reason why he was considered the rock was because he was the stabilizing force. And it, as a result of that, he ended up becoming what was known as the prime apostle. And that's why he was considered the rock. Just plain and simple, really wasn't all that complicated. But that's why. And that's why it was so important, because remember, we all know about Saul of Tar Tarsus, who then ended up becoming Paul. But remember, the, the 12 weren't all on board with Paul at first, because it's like, you know, <laughs> you were against Jesus and the teaching of him, so why should we just accept you? They kind of were looking at him as he could have been a counterfeit in a lot of ways. But it was Peter that kind of, Peter accepted him after, he didn't accept him right away either, but Peter was the one after really being able to accept Paul that gave Paul a lot of validity. Does everybody remember that? Okay, good. All right, good. So we're on the, we're on the same page. I think that that's very good. Okay, what else did you, oh, there's another person that they talked about a little bit in the movie, and I wanna see if you remember. What was significant about Stephen? And this happened in year 37. 
Yes. Yes. He became the first martyr. Okay. But what, why? I mean, what was the reason behind it? What happened? Very good. And who were the main people that did that? The group, the main group of people that did it? The who? The Sanhedrin. But how did he die? Oh, good. Okay. So you did get it. I'm so excited. Okay. And yes, he was known as the first martyr. Um, now, in the year 44, who was it that all of the apostles were really mourning the death of? Because this particular person was killed by Agrippa. So I really gave you the hints. No, it wasn't John. Yeah, oh, see, he's giving you another hint. I mean, come on. <laughs> the person was beheaded, okay? No, it was actually James. <laughs> it was actually James. Okay, all right. So, I mean, I think that's good. I mean, you guys really did see the movie. So I'm excited about that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Judas. Oh, there are two other things I want to talk about, about the movie. Um, we learned a lot about Judas Iscariot, okay? And he's a very interesting person that I think even without the movie, we would have learned about. Um, here's the thing. Remember, we talked about this either the last time we were together or before that, when... Jesus was very dissatisfied with what was going on in the temple. Because remember, they had merchants in there and um, they were selling all kinds of things and you know, he didn't appreciate it and he made that clear and all the rest of that. And um, he also made clear who he was. And the Pharisees at that time were starting to question his authority, like who in the world do you think you are, okay, telling us all of this. And some of the disciples remember, because the disciples in that term are not talking about just the 12 apostles, they're talking about the followers of Jesus. A lot of them were starting to doubt Jesus because he told them who he was. And they were like, what do you mean? How can you say that? You know, so they, he was starting to ruffle some feathers, so to speak. Well, Judas also, even though the 12 were pretty steady, Judas was starting to have some doubt himself. And it seems as if the Pharisees kind of picked up on that. Because what did they do? They approached Judas, right? And they approached him and they said that if you help us quietly get rid of this Jesus character, because we just want to have him, you know, because we knew he, they wanted to kill him, but we just want to like, do it quietly. If you help us, we'll give you what? What did they offer him? Okay. What? How much? 30 pieces. Okay. Now, the 30 pieces of silver is equivalent to about how much? That's another little fun fact in the movie. $1,200, <laughs> okay? Now, Judas seemed tempted a little bit, why? By the money, maybe, do you think? Or do you think it was because he really didn't appreciate what Jesus was saying? Yeah, he was a little bit of, well, he was special. <laughs> he was definitely special, okay. So we'll kind of just, press the pause button there. We know that he obviously wasn't too happy with what happened in the temple. But then, during the Last Supper, Jesus did something specific that they still do on New Year's Eve in some churches. What was that? Somebody raise their hand and tell me. Yes. Okay. And Judas did not like that because it just looked tacky. Like, if you're supposed to be the Messiah, you're supposed to act a certain way. And he felt as if that was just not appropriate. Okay, so it's led to believe by some people that that was like the final straw that made him know, yes, I'm definitely going to go ahead with these Pharisees and betray him. But here's the other little interesting part. I don't think, and some others don't necessarily think, 
that he really was trying to just have Jesus killed. It was like he took on the position of I'm going to humble him and let them go ahead and arrest him. And then, you know, he'll get the error of his ways and he'll start acting like I think he should act. Which, to me, again, let's put this into modern day times, because I always like to put things in juxtaposition to ourselves. This is like some of us who feel as if we can make people act the way we think that they should act. And what was Judas really doing? Judas was kind of taking on a position of <laughs> thinking he was God, and he was going to, which was really stupid. He's God, and he's going to try to make the Son of God act the way he thinks. But the point was, he was trying to change him to what he thought he should be. And that's really something, because if we think about it, I know it's Valentine's Day and all the rest of that, but there are some people to this day who are in marriages that are not so hot because they're trying to make their spouse be who they think they should be. They could learn just from Judas Iscariot to realize that's not the way to go. Yes. Well, because it is, it, it definitely states that all the scripture is inspired by God. So yes, I mean, I agree with that. Um, but it, the thing that I'm bringing this up for is because I want us to see the behavior so that we can experientially learn from that behavior. Because sometimes we don't like to admit it, but we might have some of the characteristics, not driven the same way, but some of those things are in there. You know, like we might, you might even have a, a child or a grandchild that you want to act a certain way and you think you can make them do something, and then you realize, oh, well, wait a minute, God created them, and he created them with their own free will. So I can try to train them, but I don't have the power or the authority to make them really do it. And even if they do it temporarily in my face out of obedience, we find out that they turn around the corner and they're going to do it their way anyway. So that's why we have to pray so that God can minister to them because they're not always listening to us. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. I know that to be true. <laughs> so this is something that Judas was trying to go ahead and do. The other thing, and we all know this, that Jesus told Judas what at the Last Supper when he could already, he knew what was going to happen. And he told Judas to do what? Going to do quickly. Just go ahead and get it done. Exactly. Here's the other thing. And this, I, we're gonna, when I come back next time, I, I want to actually pull the two scriptures. Because in John's gospel, it specifically states that the devil made Judas do this. But then Mark's account says that Judas actually went and approached them because he was not pleased with how Jesus was acting. So we've got two different people who are really giving us the same story, but two totally different accounts. So we're going to actually go through that, because I think that that's very, very interesting. But the bottom line was, Judas's whole thing was he just wanted to control Jesus and make him behave more like what he thought a Messiah should. Now, the other thing that's interesting is there are two accounts of Judas's death. Okay, exactly, okay. One says that he was remorseful and that he returned the silver to the, you know, to the Pharisees and then he went and hung himself, okay? And then supposedly the Pharisees went and they bought this field of blood where they supposedly buried the foreigners and stuff like that. That's one account. Then what is the other account? Yes. Exactly. That's the second account. But those are two totally different accounts. So again, you know, it leads you to wonder which one actually did have. Obviously, either one of them was not a good look. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have a good demise. But another question, do you think that Jesus forgave Judas? Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, some people ask that. But when we really know the character of him, it just, I mean, yeah. Because he was actually, he knew that he was going to do this. So, yeah, I agree with that. I definitely think so. Definitely. Well, oh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, because I thought this was interesting, 
was that most of the 12 disappeared from scripture, meaning they don't give us a nice tidy bow ending where we know that, okay, this one did this and that's that, and we could just tie it up with a bow. They kind of eventually just kind of like disappear. So there comes something called the Apocryphal Acts of the Apostles. There are these volumes that have been written and they're actually missionary activities and the deaths that really began as like oral traditions and legends. You know, imagine like if you're sitting by a campfire and you're telling, you know, well, I don't want to say a ghost story, but you're telling a story about something that happened years ago. Well, these volumes started to occur simply because they wanted to give us some account of what happened after the scripture, you know, because we really don't know. Now, it is true that most of them, this happened in the third century, by the way, this apocryphal, okay? It occurred in the third century. They were anonymously written, so we really don't know who wrote them all. Why were they written? Does anybody remember? <laughs> okay, this is one of those things that went, woo, in the movie, okay. They were written to instruct us. They were also written to entertain us. They were written to fortify the position of the apostles in history so that we would never forget. And the interesting part about them also is they were translated into several different languages because they really wanted them to be out everywhere. Now, here's another interesting fact about the Apocrypha. One second. In the fourth century, they were excluded from scripture. They just were totally excluded. And <laughs> often, they really had a tendency to build up the apostles to be like these wonder-working people. Now, I find it somewhat interesting, and it's like I want to get like more information on the Apocrypha, because I think about how there used to be, and I don't know if everybody remembers this or is even familiar with it, there used to be what was known as an African-American Bible. Or really, we call it the African-American Bible because now that's what we call it. It was initially called the Slave Bible. And in the Slave Bible, it had remedies for different things. Because remember, the slaves came over here. Of course, they didn't come with, you know, they didn't have uh, United Healthcare and <laughs> all the rest of that. They had to take care of themselves and, you know, do the best that they could. Yes, they exercised their faith, but they didn't know things like we know when it comes to the word. So, but in this Bible, they actually had remedies. Like if a person was dealing with high blood pressure, they knew that they should take massive amounts of capsicum or hot pepper to help bring that pressure down. They knew about turmeric. They knew about certain things that I find, and I find this so interesting, people who usually have a West Indian background, because the people from the West Indies were not brought directly over here in America and tainted with American culture, they still have the ability to keep a certain amount of their history intact. And that is why if you know someone who truly has a West Indian background or they live there, they know how to instinctively take care of these vessels of clay better than the people who were dropped off here in America and robbed of everything. I've done, I believe that wholeheartedly. Well, you know, so it's, it's, that's why this to me is somewhat interesting. It's like, what can we find out about the Apocrypha? Is there something in it? Now, I'm not trying to say we should avoid everything we know and just go with it, but it's of interest. So you know what I will do. I'll <laughs> find out more information about it and see what's in it. Yes, sir. Well, I said uh, Matthew, Mark, and John. I, I go to the third chapter of Matthew, the third chapter of John, the fourth chapter of Matthew, and John, I go. Right. So you compare each you compare the four gospels. And that's a good thing. And you will find that when you do that, 
even though they're telling the same story, it's a little bit different, correct? It's sort of like you can tell me the story, Miss Tata can tell me the story, Miss Tina can tell me the story, and Miss Vivian can tell me the story. There's the four of you sitting there, and you can tell me the same story, but you might have a little bit of a different version because you have a little bit of a different personality, or you might have been there at a little bit of a different time. That's why it's so wonderful that we have all four, and we can look and we can glean what we can from each. But that's why, with everything, we need to try to glean what we can from it. Some, if it's not good, then, you know, that's why you separate the wheat from the chaff, get rid of it. But if there's something that's good in it, you hold on to that so that you can learn from it as a result. Would everybody agree with that? Okay, I think so too. So it seems like you enjoyed the movie. Now, what questions do you have as a result of seeing the movie? What things kind of like stood out to you when you looked at it? I, this is not a question, but following up on what you were just talking about, the differences in the That's true, and that's also why we really need to do some digging, because I, you know, it's sort of like if I have asked my children to do something, I don't want them to tell me what they think I want to hear. I want them to tell me what really happened. So that's why it's so important that we really dig deep so that we can really get an understanding and that we should also, you know, if you have to use different translations or different resources, then do that because you really want to get to the bottom of what the real deal is, not just what, you know, they told us because they thought we wanted to hear. And then you also have to keep in mind that all of them, like for instance, Mark was not one of the 12 apostles. So he's obviously going to give you a different rendition of things because he was not one of the 12 that walked with Jesus at the time. So yeah, we, all of that has to definitely be taken into consideration, but that's what's so wonderful about Bible study, because you can never get bored. I mean, you can just start with one angle and go off on another angle, and before you know it, I mean, if we could just sit and our job was to do nothing, <laughs> but just study the word, and we just had nothing else to do, we could sit there and literally, I mean, I don't have the luxury to just do that. You know, I have other things to do. But you can get lost in something. Like, I have sat sometimes, I mean, with books all over the place in my kitchen. And I've sat and said, OK, I'm going to sit and prepare this lesson. And I'll say to myself, OK, you need give yourself two hours. And eight hours later, I look up. And it's really something, because it'll get dark outside. <laughs> and I'm looking like, oh my goodness. Oh, no wonder I, I could be a little weary. It's eight hours because you get so much into it where you go from one direction to another direction. You pick up something else. So I mean, one day maybe we can all just be able to do that. I'd love to do that every day. But you know, we do the best we can. That's why you're here, which is so wonderful. So anyway, I think we've learned a lot. What else, though, did you get from that movie? Yes, Miss Karen. I um, picked up on the reason, you know, the title of this study is 12 Ordinary Men. They were ordinary guests, they were like anybody else, but they were also teachable. Mm -hmm. It's something that I find we need to do mm -hmm. today. It's teachable. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't use or go to the temple, go to the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, because they were already set in their ways, but they were teaching stuff that had nothing to do with God. Mm -hmm. And he needs people to be open Amen. to him and willing to learn. I think so much um, pride in yourself or so much I'm educated, mm -hmm. I'm this, I'm that. Mm -hmm. You need to be teachable. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the reasons why this ministry works is because we are a teaching ministry. Mm -hmm. And God is drawing people who, need, who will open up their minds mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. That's a very good point. That's an excellent point, actually. Anyone else? And then I'm going to share something really quick with you that's kind of a spinoff off of that. Boy, you guys are quiet. I mean, you should be blessed that I didn't do like the apostle would do and how he does in a meeting where he literally would go one by one and make every single one of you have something to say. <laughs> I mean, I spared you that. It's like, you're so quiet. Okay, well, I hope you really got something out of it. When we do the next movie, whenever it is, I'll try to do it where, you know, I don't know. Anyway, here's something I do want to share with you, which is a little bit of a spin-off of something that Miss Karen said, and a spin-off of something somebody shared with me this week, which I thought was very valuable. Uh, we often sit and wonder why we don't have massive amounts of people in our congregation. And this person shared something with me, and I've really been meditating on it, and it was really, really very, very good. In that, the enemy does not want more people and more people and more people to be blessed with the teaching ministry like this one of Apostle Price. Because we are a powerhouse, and we don't even realize it. Now, here's the other thing I want to share with you. When I was in Florida, one of the things that I had the opportunity to do was to go to a Sunday morning worship service and a Wednesday Bible study because my daughter, which I'm going to have to call uh, out west and see if they have a Fickwickham church <laughs> near where she lives because she's in search of a church. She would like to be able to go to church on a regular basis. And we went on Sunday, and I was like, okay. And see, one of the things they always uh, put on me, when I say always, my whole family says, you always give people the benefit of the doubt. You're always explaining, you know, like I see the good in everything. You know, I really try. So, you know, we went in the preliminaries. Everything was nice. And, you know, the message was, you know, nice and cute and everything. And I was like, well, you know, maybe this is what they do because on Sunday they just want to preach and be inspirational. And maybe the Bible study will be a little meatier, you know, and all of this I'm saying, right? And I'm really believing this. Now, here's the thing, though. This is a mega church, okay? A mega church where, you know, they seat over 3,000 people. This is in Rinky Dink, Florida, where over 2,000 people show up to church on time, okay? And they are there. And they are listening to this. And I'm like, okay. Wednesday night Bible study comes around. They had over 850 people. I'd say between 850 people, maybe 1,000 people came out to Bible study. Oh, by the way, there was no altar call at either one of these. So it's like, how do people accept Jesus if they want to? But the Bible study, one text was read, and it wasn't even mentioned as a text. It was one verse of scripture. And then they went off to the races. And I have to tell you, I'm still praying for that congregation because they had, uh, it's one of the things that was said, well, I'm not even going to tell you all I'm not going to tell you what was said. I refuse to. But they had everybody come up to the front. If you were believing God and you needed a miracle, because your line was supposed to be, I'm going to get a miracle this week. So you come forward if you want your miracle. Out of all of those people there, 90% of them went down. But what got to me was there was a man there who had to be in his late 60s, early 70s with tears just streaming down his face, which to me characterized how much he was believing God. And it hurt me to the core because I realized that this man came out here, sat here for all of this time and heard nothing that he could sink his teeth into to help him. And if he went on the Sunday before, he most definitely heard nothing that could help him. Then I sat and thought about Crenshaw. We, I don't care who comes up here and stands in front of you, you are hearing 
the word of God. Now, if you choose not to apply it, that's on you. But you are getting a banquet of the word of God. Your life can totally be changed by what you're being given here. And yet and still, we don't really, you know, we're, we're, I, I, I don't want us ever to get to a point where we become desensitized and we don't realize the wealth of what we have here. And we don't bother to share it with anybody else because, hey, we got it. There are people who are dying inside because they don't hear any word. They're showing up at church because they're seeking God, but they're not being given anything that's going to help them. You are. Please let that encourage you to want to share it with somebody. You don't have to preach to them, teach to them. Just invite them to come. Just offer that extension of, you know what? Why don't you come? You go all kinds of different places. If you go to Dunkin' Donuts, you go to a fast food place, you go to a restaurant, anywhere you go. We have fly, I mean, we are the church of flyers. Okay, we have more flyers and stuff. Give it to somebody. Take it in the men's room and the ladies' room and put them there. You don't even have to speak to somebody. But do it, because you know why? People need it. They're hurting. They are truly hurting. They are dying. And we have the potential to share something with them. So I, you know, I just had to share that with you because it really did, it hurt me. It truly did. Because it's like I wanted to just embrace all of them and say, no, 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 no. You know, but wasn't my house. Couldn't do it. You know, but the one good thing that was wonderful, and I'll leave you with this because I left you with that. I have to leave you something good. Our daughter said to us, because we went to get a bite to eat after, and she said to us, the reason that I don't go there, because she had gone there before, but she wanted us to see, because you know, <laughs> again, we're parents and we're always sharing things. You know, you have a baby now and the baby needs to go to church. You know, all the little things we say. So her, learning us, let us go. <laughs> let us experience it for ourselves. And then she was able to say, this is why I don't go there. And this is why I'm still actively seeking. Because I grew up in your household where, what did we learn? If we learn nothing else, we learned the word. I grew up under the ministry of Apostle Frederick Casey Price. I grew up going to churches like Dr. Dollar. Again, the word is taught. So I cannot sit somewhere and have to feel like I have to have a baseball bat to bat away all the negative things and try to find something good. I can't do that. That's a waste of my life. So that was good to know that, of course, when you train up a child in the way they should go, they will not depart. But the key is our children were blessed because they had Crenshaw. They had this training. And we just need to share that with other people. And especially if you know anybody that has children or grandchildren, please allow them to hear the word because it can totally change their lives, as you already know. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.